across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Well, we have reached the end of a quite remarkable and momentous week, which if you'd asked me about on Monday, I could never possibly have predicted. The latest lockdown is providing people with very little respite for doing anything at all, and people are wondering how on earth they'll be able to stick with all of these restrictions until March. This morning, I'd love to hear from all of you about what exactly uh, you're doing, how you're coping, what you're seeing, whether the police are enforcing the stricter rules, and exactly how you are going to cope with this particular the lockdown. But before we do anything else, I must address something that has completely infuriated me this morning, ladies and gentlemen, and it is this. There is a despicable individual out there in the big wide world who is scamming old people with a fake vaccine, going from door to door in the southeast of England, pretending to be from the NHS. One afternoon last month, this ghastly creature knocked on the door of a 92-year-old woman in Surbiton, which is in southwest London, and convinced her that he had been authorised to vaccinate her against Covid, right? He then stuck a needle in her arm and asked her for £160, which he said would be refunded to her by the NHS. Could there be any more more heinous than this particular individual. We've got some CCTV footage of this guy. We're putting it up on our YouTube channel as we speak. We're watching our Twitter as well because we want to catch this guy because this last time that he did this was at the end of December. Now, I'm assuming that means he's probably done it a few times since. We don't know who he is. All we do know uh, is that he's described as a white man uh, in his 30s. Um, he's, he's wearing what looks like some kind of tracksuit. We've got to stop this guy because before he does anything else, he might actually do some serious harm. We want to make sure that he can't con any more old and vulnerable people. So please join us and let us catch this bloke. If you've seen him, uh, if you know anyone who has been visited by this character, anyone who has been at a knock on the door from someone claiming to be from the NHS, we need to hear from you. 0344. 499-1000. I understand as well that there are other people out there trying to run scams based on COVID one way and another. I mean, what sort of people are there out there who would absolutely prey on vulnerable individuals, particularly elderly vulnerable individuals, rinsing them for money? It's absolutely disgusting. We need to put a stop to it. Coming up, we'll also be taking the temperature on Brexit. It's been over a week now since we left the European Union and we all seem to be still here. Labour leader Brendan Chilton uh, will be talking to us about that. Plus, we'll get the latest on the COVID data uh, with our favourite statistician Jamie Jenkins and we're joined by royal author Angela Levin on the one year anniversary of Meghan and Harry's announcement that they were leaving the country 0344 499 and because it's Friday and it's the first one of the year it's the first ever Perrier Awards of 2021 in the company of producer Marta Malagon you're listening to me Mike Graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it is of course Talk Radio Mid-morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio Coming up as well, I need to tell you about this because we've had uh, our little problems with YouTube this week. We now have two YouTube channels, one uh, which you're watching us live streaming on. We've also got one called Talk Radio Highlights as well. So get yourself onto that where you can see all manner of great interviews, great clips. Plank of the Week is on there as well. Lots, lots more uh, for you to see as we go through the year. Now, let us kick off, first of all, with Brendan Chilton, CEO of the Independent Business Network, uh, a member of the Labour Party who actually always wanted to leave the European Union. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Happy New Year. 
Good morning, Mike, and Happy New Year to you. And congratulations. You've gone up now, not from one, but to two YouTube channels. Exactly. It's a great success. It is. It's a wonderful success. Now, before we get stuck into Brexit and all of that, let us just talk about this scumbag uh, who is out there trying to uh, rinse money from elderly, vulnerable people, because I can't believe that he's only done it once. If he did it once on December the 30th, I wonder uh, if he's doing it again. I mean, how despicable do you have to be uh, to try and make money out of a pandemic? Oh, it's pure filth, absolutely pure filth as an individual. And somebody out there knows who this individual is, or there'll be people that have witnessed him going up and down their street. And I would urge them all to get in touch, contact the police. And if you see him doing it, get your phone out, film him, and let's get this viral, because people like this need to be stopped. All yes. people in this country have had a, a terrible, terrible year, and they don't need little losers like this going around making things worse for them. No, it's absolutely disgusting and absolutely despicable. I also want to draw attention to some of your uh, tweets that I've seen um, this morning, not least the one um, about wealthy middle-class people in comfortable houses with nice gardens, kind of, you know, absolutely talking down to the ordinary working people of this country and telling them that they must not be covid idiots. Tell us what you make of all that. Well, I've just noticed over the past few weeks in particular, this sort of more and more of an aggressive tone, particularly from sort of public health professionals and all the usual suspects on social media that went against Brexit, yeah. having a go at ordinary people, many of whom are living in cramped conditions, in tight flats, you've got students living in tiny little bedsit rooms at university campuses, people on low income struggling, yet these comfortable, well-off people in good, secure jobs, most of them, I have to say, in the public sector, yeah. having a pop at ordinary people really is starting to rile me. I'm a local councillor as well as being involved with the Independent Business Network. And the ward I represent is full of council houses, houses of multiple occupation, and they're all struggling. Mm. They've got no gardens, no space, no outlets. The local retail and hospitality shut. The parks are shut. Blimey, your children's play parks are shut. So you've got these poor families in terribly cramped conditions with three or four children all trying to learn, all trying to work, and it's just not possible. And then you get some woke wally uh, on Twitter, calling them all COVID idiots, and I think they really need to be told to clear off. I really think they do need to be told to clear off. And similarly, um, the, a, a tweet that you put out yesterday, because one of the questions I've got for people out there today um, who are trying to go about their business and who are trying to uh, to survive through this lockdown, which is very, very intense. I mean, my own teenage son said to his mother yesterday, "What are we supposed to do until March?" You know, and we are a relatively well-off family, and so we you know I've got no complaints, and I'm not going to have to have to uh, you know beg anybody for for help. However, um, it's a very true thing to say uh, that it's very, very difficult. And the police in certain parts of the country, in one particular case up in Scotland that you highlighted, uh, seem to be being a little bit draconian with people. Um, and it's not that clear, really, how far they can go, is it? Well, the legislation, as I understand it at the moment, is that police can enter your household without a warrant, which is unprecedented. Mm. Now, the footage that's going round online at the moment is, as you say, of a family in Scotland, it appears they're in an apartment. Uh, the police are at the door uh, and they're barged in, suspecting this household of having more than one person around. Now, it turns out uh, they didn't. They did, in fact, have uh, their daughter back from hospital, who turned out to be, I think it was epileptic. And they barged in. Yes, the mother was a little bit aggressive, but if the police barged into my house, I imagine I would be a little bit aggressive yeah, as absolutely. well. I've done nothing wrong. Um, and they knocked the family to the ground, as well as the daughter that had just come out of hospital. And this is absolutely appalling. Now, if you go back to last summer, we had the police sending up drones 
uh, to watch people walking in country parks. I think it was the Yorkshire Dales where this happened. Um, you've had other people being arrested for taking their parents out of care homes. It's absolutely insane. We're meant to be a free liberal democracy. And what we've got are the police running riot and really using legislation that ought not to be in place to arrest and to punish decent, ordinary people that are struggling through this pandemic. Yes, because an awful lot of people have told me that they've been in touch with, say, uh, friends of theirs who have been stopped by the police when they've been out driving their cars. You know, and everybody understands that this is something that um, that we supposedly are meant to know about. But I think a lot of people in the in the moment don't actually know what the rules are as such. Well, quite right. I mean, where I live in Kent, I'm about uh, 12 miles from the Sussex border. So if you are living down on that border area, there is one village that crosses over the border. So in one half of the village, we were in tier four a few weeks ago. And the other half of the village was in tier three. Right. Uh, how on earth do you stop people getting confused in that situation? And when you've got government by edict, which is what we have at the moment, you know, ministers pop up on television and tell us that takeaways can deliver, but you can't have a pint with it because you might get COVID. I mean, it's out of nonsense. Um, people just cannot follow these ever-changing rules. And when the government expect people to do so, it's entirely unreasonable. How can 60 million people who've got to go about their day-to-day -day lives, looking after their children, caring for their elderly relatives, trying to survive, also keep up to date with the minutiae of legislation, every dot and comma that right. comes out of Westminster on an almost daily basis. Yeah. It's wholly unreasonable and well, they shouldn't be punished for it. Well, exactly right. I mean, I've spoken to an awful lot of people who don't know how far they're allowed to travel in order to go and have a walk, you know, because not everybody lives next to a massive great heath or a common. They might live, as you say, uh, in a council estate. They might want to go somewhere a bit rural for a walk. They might have a dog they want to walk. You know, what are they supposed to do? Well, quite right. I mean, every morning uh, I've got a friend of mine who is shielding. She's an older lady. They're a couple. And I pick up their dog and take him down the coast. Now, I imagine that's breaking the rules. But frankly, I don't care. And I'm going to continue to do it. And if anyone wants to arrest me, I'll be at Dimchurch Beach this afternoon at two o'clock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see you try. Um, <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean... Wrong. It really, it really is. And I mean, everybody, I think, is responsible in this country. There might be one or two people who have not been as responsible as they should have been. And that's understandable. But the fact is, you know, most people like yourself, Brendan, I mean, you're not going to be doing anything on a beach which is liable to spread COVID, are you? Well, quite right. I, I mean, it's there are plenty of people. I mean, people going out getting walks. I mean, at my train station the other week, uh, the, the couple whose dog I walk for, they live near the station. There were policemen standing at the station checking people whether they're going to work as an essential worker or not. Mm. I mean, are we North Korea or communist China? Papers, please. It's absolutely outrageous. Um, I think we need to have an urgent review of this legislation. If the government won't do it, we should have virtual people's assemblies and we the people uh, should demand uh, these laws are changed because the amount of people being punished is just unreasonable. And as you say, most people are perfectly sensible. They're going about their lives. They're maintaining the social distancing. Uh, when you're going to shops, you wear the masks and things like this. You don't need these draconian measures and essentially excessive policing uh, telling people how to behave. Yes, exactly right. Because, of course, you know, it now would appear that there are an awful lot of people in hospitals. There are a lot of people dying, and that's understandable that we need to uh, to protect the, the, the populace from that. But locking down your ordinary man and woman from going out with the dog, you know, is not necessarily going to stop anything. Well, quite right. And on top of that, of course, you've got very good businesses who were profitable, operating well and employing people uh, a year ago 
who have been forced into essentially bankruptcy mm. uh, because of the measures that have been imposed on them. And I think of pubs in particular. Yeah. Um, they have spent hundreds of thousands of pounds, some pubs, on making sure they were COVID compliant. The little plastic screens, the, the temperature buzzer that they uh, do on your forehead, the hand gel, the face mask, yeah. all that, they complied with the rules. And then the government shut them down. And to me, that's a disgrace. Mm. And they should be fully compensated, not just with furlough money, but with money for the loss of capital expenditure. And that goes for the same for restaurants and hotels and all sorts of yeah. other businesses that have had to do that. Mm. Because many, many of them have uh, had the furlough money and that's kept people employed, as it were. But what it hasn't done uh, is held held any responsibility for the people that run the pubs who don't get the money and the people who have to pay you know, regular monthly bills without any help whatsoever. Well, quite right. And I think of people like barbers, many barbers and hairdressers rent their premises. They're still having to pay their rent to their landlords, despite mm. the fact they've only got 80 percent of their income coming in. I wonder if our MPs and our government ministers should be paid 80 percent of the money they get. And I'm pretty sure uh, they would soon change their minds as to how this system is being operated. Yes. Well, considering, considering that many people have had that for a year, maybe we should just give them 20 percent and do it that way round. Well, I think you'd have almost uh, unanimous support. That would get their attention. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be on your show, Mike, I can tell you that. That's absolutely Um, right. Now, we were going to talk about Brexit, but we haven't got there yet because there's so many other things to do. But but that's okay. No, no, don't apologise. It's not not your fault. Um, But here we are. You know, it's the 8th of January. Uh, We are one week in, more or less, slightly over from leaving the European Union. Um, Everything seems to be okay, Brendan. Well, I'm down here in Kent. Of course, um, as we are now under a sort of police state, I haven't been able to get to the motorway to check. But as far as I'm aware, the motorways are flowing freely. Uh, the ferries are crossing. The trains are working. There's still food in the supermarkets. Mm. The sky hasn't fallen in. All the nonsense, and it was absolute nonsense. I can think of a, a stronger word beginning with B, but I won't <laughs> use it. Uh, that, was, that was spouted uh, by these Remainers has all not happened. And so really they ought to be eating some humble pie uh, and apologising for the chaos they've caused over the past four years and all now get together and make sure our time outside the European Union is a great success, as I'm sure it will be. Yes, absolutely right. Brendan, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. We will talk to you again, I'm sure, very, very soon. Brendan Chilton, Independent Business Network, also councillor down there in Kent, uh, giving the thumbs up very much to Brexit. But let us not forget how we started this conversation. Let us not forget about this individual that we want to try and apprehend, this ghastly creature who thinks it's a great idea to rinse older, vulnerable people of £160 while injecting them, mind you, with a fake COVID vaccine. This individual must be stopped. This individual must be apprehended. This individual must be punished. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there is an awful lot going on today, and it's been one heck of a week in terms of news. I mean, goodness gracious me, coming back from the old uh, Christmas and New Year break that I had, a rather extended one because uh, I was looking forward to seeing my daughter and doing some stuff with her. We didn't do that much in the end, but it was great to see her. Uh, fantastic to have a visit from her for the first time uh, since, I think, March or February of last year. Um, but uh, what I want to tell you about before we go any further, we're about to speak to Chris Green, Conservative MP for Bolton Northwest, uh, is we must do something about this horrible, ghastly individual that I mentioned at the top of the show uh, who's going around in Surbiton 
at the very least uh, in West London, southwest London, uh, conning people, uh, pretending to be working for the NHS, pretending uh, that he has been told by the NHS to go and give vaccinations to people, basically vaccinating a 92-year-old woman uh, with some kind of fake jab. Nobody really knows what he gave her, but he did stick a needle into her arm. Uh, she was OK, but we don't know precisely what he's using to do that. Now, aside from the fact that it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do, he also demanded and took £160 from her. So I believe uh, this man is dangerous. I believe he must be apprehended. And I would like you to help us, if you possibly can, with any information. Uh, we've got a CCTV image of him, which the police have issued to us. Uh, so please do call us or please do call the police if you see or hear anyone who has been approached by this individual. Um, I'm also going to talk to you in a little minute about uh, British gas and a strike which has been going on. A five-day strike has begun uh, from yesterday in a dispute over new contracts. They're basically trying to pull a British Airways manoeuvre, it seems to me. They're trying to fire people and rehire them uh, on contracts which are worth less money. But we'll come to that in a moment. In amongst all of this stuff, we're still talking about lockdown as well. Let's talk to Chris Green, Conservative MP for Bolton Northwest. Chris, a very good morning to you. Happy New Year. Good morning, Mike. Having you here. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, you're one of the guys who uh, stood up uh, in uh, Parliament and actually voted down the, uh, the the very draconian rules that have been brought in with this new lockdown, Which so I salute you for that. Charles Walker made an incredibly uh, impassioned speech. Um, I'm sorry if you also did, because I only saw his one. But, um, but tell us why you didn't vote for them uh, and, and tell us what your fears are about it. Well, the first thing is uh, we have more quite uh, draconian or quite extreme measures being imposed on uh, so many people, so many millions of people in England. Again, this is the third time. Mm. And I think many people at home, even if they agree with the government doing that, they would still expect the government to have a vote on it, not just to have it uh, taken through on the nod. And the principal reason why I voted against it was because members of parliament should be informed. They should be informed by... Uh, ministers by uh, the Department for Health, Education, all the other departments to say, what is the impact overall of the COVID lockdown? We have a sense of uh, the impact of, uh, uh, of COVID itself, but the government isn't being very clear with the impact of uh, the lockdown. And if you look just at um, the cancer figures, it's uh, reckoned that about 50,000 people who in normal times would know that they are cancer would most likely be starting their treatment to deal with that cancer, 50,000 people don't know that they got that cancer. Will those people find out uh, when the cancer's gone from a, a relatively early stage to late stage, perhaps even terminal? Yeah. Well, this is so our argument here. Uh, yeah, this is our, our argument here at Talk Radio, Chris. Because you know, while of course everybody's concerned about the numbers rising and the coronavirus deaths and all of that, you know, we seem to be getting ourselves into a position where you know you can't question whether there's something else we might be doing. You know, because it's all very well to say, well, we must lock down because of all the people who are dying. Well, that's all very well, providing that that will, in some way, be of help. But nothing that we've done so far in terms of lockdowns has necessarily stopped an awful lot of people dying. No, and there's huge uh, national support for the lockdown. Now, I think in part that's pe people have, uh, want to deal with this uh, uh, situation, this crisis. But if people had more information, better information saying this is the impact on uh, heart disease, health, this is the number of people who haven't had that hip replacement operation or knee operation or haven't had that cataract surgery. So we hear on the one hand long COVID, 
We're not entirely sure what that means yet. There's a lot of work to be done to be clear on that. But we do know the impact on people if they don't have that hip replacement. Mm. Their mobility, their standard of living is really reduced. Mm. We know in terms of cancer, heart disease, so many other things uh, that there's a huge cost uh, there as well. In terms of education, so many children, so many primary school children went in for one day's education and they don't know when they're going to go back to school. This has a massive impact. And the legislation goes till the 31st of March, even though the government's setting that kind of uh, mid-February target for the vaccination program to roll out to set us free, so to speak. The legislation is the 31st of March. Surely we should be having another vote at the end of January, another vote at the end of February. Well, clearly there needs to be some form of, of, of flexibility, doesn't there? Because, I mean, as, as I've, I've, I've been reporting for the last couple of days, my, my teenage son yesterday said to his mother, what are we supposed to do until March? You know, they can't see their friends as far as their understanding is. They're not allowed to go anywhere. You know, they can't really go walking in, 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 in the park with, with other people in case the police suddenly come up and tell them they shouldn't be doing it. I mean, I've got reports this morning uh, of children and parents being stopped by police out sledging. Uh, in somewhere in Worcestershire. You know, there seems to be a lot of confusion about what people can do and what powers the police have over what they're doing. And we know that uh, people being cooped up indoors with other members of family, with other people, it's worse for transmission if you're indoors rather than out and about having a little bit of exercise. Uh, Having a healthy lifestyle is Mm. one of those uh, factors that actually makes you more resistant to COVID and more resistant to other diseases and actually maintains uh, your mental health as well. But my concern now is when we're looking forward after a fashion, we're looking forward to the first anniversary of uh, COVID lockdowns. Mm. Uh, Last March is when it's happened. Uh, The government introduced the legislation Uh, for a six-month period. That was renewed in September. Now, in March, we're going to be looking forward to another, I expect, another six-month renewal of these powers. And I think the government should be coming forward with, okay, they say the vaccination is the way out. 13 million of the most vulnerable will be protected by mid-February. Okay, it can take a couple of weeks for it to uh, kick in. So at the beginning of March, 13 million of the most vulnerable people will be protected. Do we really need another renewal at the end of March of this legislation? The government should be coming forward saying we no longer need it, and perhaps for a month, but no more than one month at the end of March. And this is the narrative I think that the government needs to be building up uh, of return to normality, a return to our civil liberties, not a new normal. Mm. It's the normal we choose for ourselves. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And such an intelligent way to approach it as well, because, you know, we were told towards the end of last summer and into sort of the autumn that once we had the vaccines, that would change everything. And it hasn't changed everything, has it? I mean, and let's not get into whether or not they've been as efficient as they could have been at rolling out the vaccine, which would appear not to be the case. But, you know, certainly we were led to believe that as soon as the vaccine started to kick in, that would mean that we could return to a more kind of, you know, uh, safe place in terms of opening gyms up, in terms of people going back to work, kids going back to school, you know, because we can't just keep doing this forever, can we? No, and uh, I was quite concerned with Chris Whitty the other day saying we'll have uh, certain measures perhaps next winter. And that lends itself to that concern of just when will it come to an end, mm. if they're already, in a sense, setting up the narrative. So if we extend the uh, these uh, COVID lockdown measures uh, f- uh, another six months 
Well, that'll take us to September. That'll take us to the normal respiratory season. And we're pretty much going to guarantee it'll be for another six months at that stage. And this is where members of parliament, members of the public, uh, sharing their concerns with members of parliament need to come into play. And ministers need to be articulating, this is our exit. Mm. This is the stepping stones we're going to be taking to a full exit from these uh, lockdown measures. Because if we had been told... Uh, a year ago, nearly a year ago, that it won't just take a year, it's going to take 18 months mm. plus some more. I don't think we would have gone down this route in the first place. No, I think you're absolutely right. But I can guarantee you one thing, Chris. Next uh, winter, we will be in crisis once again in the NHS, whether or not the coronavirus is here or not, because we're always in a crisis in the winter in the NHS. And and now we're told that we can't say that uh, because in some way that might be misleading. But let me just say this to you as well. We had a call earlier on on the show from a guy, a poor guy down in Plymouth who wants to go and see his mother in a care home, was able to see her a week and a half ago, was told today he can't see her, was not given any reason uh, why, but presumably the lockdown is the reason, uh, not given any uh, indication of when he might be able to see her again. And when he went to see her last time, they were behind screens. He said it was like seeing somebody in prison. I don't understand why um, people have to change those rules if they're already COVID secure. Well, this is one of the extraordinary things that we think we have the technology. We think we have the ability to say, if you've had a test or perhaps you need a couple of tests before going to visit someone, Mm. you're safe. You can go and visit, you can have that normal human contact. And yet these basics, these essentials still aren't being done. And this, I think, is a a huge concern. Why isn't uh, those, why aren't those normal aspects of society uh, being returned to us? And whether it's uh, problems with any kind of uh, big plan, anything to do with uh, bureaucracy and civil service, and the interpretation of those rules is very difficult. But this, again, should be a reason why we ought to be incredibly cautious about having these rules in the first place and renewing them in March. Mm, I think you're absolutely right. And as far as the 16 uh, of you, I mean, do you imagine that that could change in terms of a number? Because obviously, you know, it was a bit bigger than that before. Um, I can understand why some MPs might have said, well, because of the bigger numbers now, we're not going to vote against the government this time. But I mean, what's your sense of, um, of the general feeling in Parliament? Oh, I, I think the, the, the points you made are, uh, are it. Uh, the, there's, in a sense, a, a way out. We've got the vaccination. We can see it's no longer a cave. We're trapped in it. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we've got that plan. There's um, this new strain of COVID, uh, which is more fearsome than the uh, last version. So I can understand why colleagues were cautious about opposing the government plan now. And this is why I think this next vote in March is going to be key. If the government plan isn't seen to work, do we then have to look at another uh, track, another option? Mm. Uh, so I, I never thought this current vote would have would have been very difficult for the government at all. Uh, but it's all about, I think, uh, maintaining the debate, uh, maintaining the conversation, giving a bit more understanding to people. And then members of parliament who voted for this plan, they've in this vote, and this is one of the key things of having this vote, they voted for a plan uh, which will see the delivery of vaccinations, uh, see um, us getting towards the spring, getting towards the summer, and we know these problems go down towards the end of the respiratory illness season. Mm. So they've voted for a plan that will see the end of COVID and the crisis as we know at the moment. More treatments are coming down the line, and therefore, if they're asked to vote for more measures 
in March, they have to ask themselves, I've voted so many times over the last year uh, for plan after plan, lockdown after lockdown. When does it come to an end? Yes. They've got to ask themselves that question. I think that's absolutely right. Chris, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Chris Green, Conservative MP uh, for Bolton North West, one of the good guys who's actually asking questions, as indeed are we right here at Talk Radio, because there's nothing wrong with asking questions, by the way. Uh, some of the stuff that was said yesterday at the briefing, particularly by that bloke that runs the NHS, telling everyone they should be watching Channel 4 News and uh, the BBC. Well, I'm sorry, mate. Uh, you don't get to tell people what they can do, what they can watch, what they should believe. OK, it's as simple as that. We will ask questions we will continue to ask questions we will continue to quiz government ministers and ask why this lockdown is so draconian and what happens if it doesn't work and what happens by the way if it does work and what are the targets can we please have some information on what it is that you would call a success right now Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Well, I must confess, when I heard this morning uh, that Angela Levin uh, wanted to talk to us about the year uh, that has just gone by, the anniversary of Harry and Meghan leaving these shores, I couldn't quite believe it. But Angela's here with us. Angela, very good um, morning, afternoon to you, I should say, and welcome back. Hello. Hello. Well, I mean, who knew... Um, that the definition of privacy would be so stretched to its absolute limits by these two who um, have done nothing but, I think, be in the public eye for every single day of this year that they've been away. Yes, and they get more and more PR people on their team to promote them and make sure that they are in the public eye. Well, the privacy was obviously nonsense. It was really, I think, that Meghan just hated the role. She misinterpreted mm. it. She thought... She could use that as a platform to change the world. She always talks in global terms. Yes. Um, but she couldn't. She had to take her place with Harry as six in line to the throne. And she just didn't like it. So I think they should have gone and said to the Queen, you know, we really don't like this. My, my wife is very unhappy. I want to make her happy. Please, can you let us go and make our own lives? Mm. And the Queen, who is not a micromanager, would have said, well, it'll take me X weeks to sort this out, but go ahead, do what you want. So the privacy is absolutely nonsense. What I've seen lately is that the PR team, it's sort of little waves. Every now and then they're thrown out as victims. And in between that, they're victory makers because mm. they've got lots of money. They've got more deals. They're doing wonderful things. And it, it's a very cunning but clever way of presenting them. So you're supposed to feel sorry for them, which I don't at all. They were adults, they made their decision, but also admire what they're doing. I don't particularly do that because I don't think it works, even if you're no longer a working royal. It's very offensive to the Queen. Do you think that there's a kind of disconnect, though, as well, between we here in this country and the American public? Because it seems to me that in this country... People are very much sick to death of them. We've seen we've seen a couple of polls that we've done. I think one poll was done around that podcast that they did for Spotify, uh, in which seventy percent of people who answered the poll said they weren't interested in anything they had to say. I just wonder yeah. if we see that a different way than the people in the states do. Well, a lot of the people in the states don't haven't fallen for them either. I mean, um, I read something yesterday which said that um, sure they're doing all these things but they're not professional political activists, no. nor are they you know, humane activists, 
One's a former actress or maybe still acting, and the other one is, is a prince. And they've got to establish their identity. They're waffling from one thing to the other. You know, mm. Megan, I have to say, you missed out. Megan wants to write nonfiction books about how to look after yourself. She also wants to write a novel. She also wants to produce a magazine mm. with things that will make people happy and feel well. Well, you just cannot go in all those directions. Plus, of course, she wants to have another baby. She's made that yes. very clear. That's a bit like um, me saying to you, Angela, I quite fancy the idea of being a Formula One driver. What do you reckon? You know, you can't just <laughs> be something. You can't just go, I now want to be this, can you? Yes, no, no, they can't. I mean, there's things like saying going around these last few days about it was a leap of faith to embark on a new life. I don't think it was a leap of faith. It was something that Harry had wanted to do for years. Right. Harry told me he wanted to go and look after endangered species in Africa right. very quietly away from anyone. He didn't want to take part in Netflixes and podcasts. I can't believe that. It's just uh, just not true. No, it's absurd, isn't it? No, and also, how is it that they first initially ended up in that island off the coast of Vancouver, which was incredibly sort of um, uh, hidden away, very, very hard to penetrate if you were a paparazzi, very difficult to get anywhere near without actually being in one of the houses on the island. And yet they weren't happy there. Um, when you would have thought they would be. And instead, you know, more ridiculously, despite having said she would never live in America while Donald Trump was president, they moved back to Hollywood, effectively. Yes. Well, she felt comfortable there because she's got friends there and she's very Californian. Yeah. Um, but I think Meghan was really at the end of her tether. I do believe that. I think she could not bear it. And Meghan is a type of person who, if she can't bear somebody or what she's doing, she shuts it off and moves on. And I think that she was desperate and Harry had to get her out as soon as possible. See, they had had talks with the Queen, or at least Harry had, mm. and she was saying, let's go through the protocol. You can't just walk away like that. Um, but she didn't have any patience. They're both very, very impatient and um, impulsive. And, and Harry takes that from his mother, of course. She mm. was also impulsive. She made a few decisions. But her aim in life was very different. Now the, Harry and Meghan's aim is to rule the world, make the world a better place, and earn pots and pots and pots of money. Um, I, I don't believe it will ever happen, really. No, I really don't think so. But it, one, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Because if you, if you sort of fast forward a year, imagine the last year that we've seen and how they've behaved. What do you think the next year is going to hold for them? Because they've got, as you say, plans for her to have another baby, but she's not that young. So sooner rather than later, I guess that would have to be the case. And also, yeah. um, he's for, I think he's forged a couple of lawsuits in the past 12 months, in addition to the one against Associated Newspapers, which is already running. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be quite a tough old year for them, isn't it? I think it will be a tough year. Of course, the main thing that Harry has to decide is immigration. Um, I think they've extended his time there. Um, where you know, There's a time when people who go to America have to pay tax, start paying taxes, mm. unless they go back to their home for several uh, weeks. Um, and, I, and I think you know, that was softened because of COVID. You know, he can't come back at the moment. Yeah. But he's got to decide, does he want to become an American? And do they want him? Um, and there'll be huge... Um, uh, taxes to pay you know that's a very big deal they might be the sort of people who want to hop from one place to another and if something doesn't work bang end let's mm. try something else but i think 
when you're mature adults, which they are, you, you need to concentrate and give yourself time. I feel very sad that Megan didn't give herself time within the royal family because she could have made lots mm. of changes. They both together were full of energy and ideas. Um, but one, you know, they wouldn't be told what to do. And you have to respect the monarchy. It's older than them. Mm. Um, and secondly, um, you have to take a back seat and learn. You can't just jump into different country, different role, no. and, and think you can walk away with it. And I think, um, I think, I mean, you know, statement. they have issued a statement um, this morning that they hope 2021 is a time of healing. It's all such a sort of phony thing. No, it's isn't just it? ridiculous. It's um, that kind of what they call yoga speak from California, it's, isn't it? Where everything's beautiful and, you know, it's all about compassion. And it's like, well, you don't even see your own dad, for heaven's sake, yeah, you know? Exactly. And you've also allowed your um, your husband to, to, to completely cut off more or less all ties with his extended family, which happens to be the royal family. It's unbelievable, really. Yes, it is. I think also what is very interesting to think about is that um, they said they didn't want anything to do with being a royal. They want to live their own life and they wait that they want to. But then there they go, popping up at uh, Remembrance Day um, with a, 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 a sort of um, a cameraman who mm. they're paying. To take oh, that dreadful photograph, yeah. That was very much because they wanted to do it their own way. And then we've got these awards, they've said, that people who support the charities that they really care about and inspire them. And, and the, the obvious thing was that it was going to be um, fighting against the Queen's Honours Awards. Yes. Now, if you really want to get away, why don't you just get away? You mustn't do things like that. It's very disrespectful. Mm. The monarch has been on the throne for over 70 years. You don't do that to somebody like that, particularly if she's your grandmother. Mm. Um, so it is all a terrible mess, I think. They don't really know if they're coming or going no. or what they really want. And I mean, you say because of their ages that they are mature individuals, but I don't think their behaviour would suggest that they really are. And certainly her MO has been to move from one thing to another fairly rapidly. You know, she doesn't... I mean, I was told, I haven't even watched Suits. I've only seen a couple of clips from it. I'm told she's barely in it. It's not, I mean, people talk about her being in this, you know, this show suits that not very many people actually ever watched, but apparently she's hardly in it at all. She's only in one series of it, apparently. I'll tell you the same. I haven't watched it either. It's not my type of a thing. Mm. But um, I think, I think they, you can have a relationship with somebody who brings out the best in you. And if you want to do something too spontaneous, which obviously will be a disaster, they pull you back gently. Mm. They tell you what's wrong. I think the two of them don't do that for each other. I think, unfortunately, they bring out, uh, I wouldn't say the worst, but they don't bring out the best in them. I think certainly she hasn't bring, brought out the best in Prince Harry, no. who looked the shadow of his former self. Yeah, and I think it's They quite said sad. he's very happy. But of course, their PR company would say that, wouldn't they? They're not going to say he's terribly depressed <laughs> and he wants to come back. No. You know, I said he doesn't regret it. This has come out today. You know, we're flooded with all this waffle. Right. Um, that, you know, he doesn't regret it. It was really hard for him, but he doesn't regret it. Well, how do we know that? I don't believe any of that. No. Gosh. It I might don't... be possible, but they are washing us through this 
um, nonsense. Mm, they really are. Just uh, let me break for a second because apparently the Moderna vaccine has become the third to be approved for use in the UK. That's breaking news right here uh, just now on Talk Radio. Um, Angela, so um, as far as the rest of the royal family are concerned this year, um, obviously we've got Prince Philip's birthday coming up, which is quite a big deal. Presumably he's going to miss that, is he? Well, this is very interesting because Prince Philip has made it very clear that he doesn't want any fuss. He's not going to help. He's not going to be involved in it. It might end up as a family dinner. Mm. And I hope Harry comes to that. But I don't think Meghan will. And I don't think she would be really welcome unless they make peace before then. There is, of course, Diana's uh, statue that's going to be unveiled just after that. And... um, I'm sure Harry will come to that, but he might come on his own, do a quick whiz back. Um, And then we'll be seeing William, his brother, who he said, you know, no one was as close as he was and he was the only person Harry could trust. Um, We'll see what happens there. The Invictus Games is around that time as well. Mm. And he might decide that he's going to opt for that rather than come to the UK. I think he's got very difficult decisions to make. um, And I hope he makes them without any bitterness in it, because it was their decision. Yes, absolutely right. Well, no doubt they will provide us with plenty of copy uh, for the rest of the uh, uh, next year anyway, uh, at the very least. Angela, thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin, royal biographer, uh, royal author there, telling us about the uh, year anniversary. Uh, So much has gone on uh, since Harry and Meghan decided to quit Britain, quit the royal family, and supposedly actually um, become private individuals. It hasn't been very private so far. Once again, breaking news, Moderna vaccine becomes the third to be approved for use uh, in the UK. We'll bring you more details on that uh, as and when. Uh, we get them of course we want to take some more of your calls though so do make them please 0344 499 1000 we still want to try and catch this ghastly individual uh, who's going around conning old women and trying to get 160 pounds off them in order to so-called inject them with some noxious substance which is absolutely ridiculous this is talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Right now, though, uh, it's time for homeschooling because an awful lot of children, of course, who should be at school are not at school. uh, So they're home learning uh, with their parents and hopefully uh, getting a reasonable amount of online uh, schooling from whichever institution they are attached to. We're going to speak now, though, to Dr. Erin Carey, lecturer at Manchester Metropolitan University. Uh, For our section on homeschooling today, we're going to talk about dialects, which are, of course, fascinating, interesting, different uh, up and down the country. I'm told there's 10. I'm not sure if that's right, but uh, I'm sure I'll be put right uh, by Dr. Erin. Dr. Erin, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Happy New Year. Hi, good morning. Happy Thank New you. Year to you too. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, when I saw that there were 10 British dialects, I was quite surprised by that because I thought to myself, there's bound to be, you know how there are people who are very pedantic about this kind of thing and there'll be people in Scotland who who will talk about Scots. Uh, they might talk about, uh, you know, different regional accents in, in places like Glasgow and Aberdeen and Edinburgh and all of that. So is it right to say there's 10? Is that sort of a, a largely true number? I think it's safe to say that there are a lot more than 10. Um, The tricky thing is that it's it's actually really difficult to count how many different dialects that we have in the UK Mm. because they kind of blend and they merge into each other as you move across the country. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they do vary by region. So you've got dialects which are linked to particular cities. So Mm. you have, for example, a Manchester dialect, a Glasgow dialect, Edinburgh, London, Sheffield, you name it. 
you've got a dialect associated with it. But then as you move into sort of like towns and villages, even neighborhoods and some mm. streets, you'll have quite unique ways of speaking as well. And, and those could be called dialects. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. we've had people talk to us at the university saying that they can identify where someone comes from, like the specific street someone comes from really? just based on the way. Yeah, and also there's a lot of vocabulary that's different, isn't there? Because, I mean, if you look at, say, the Midlands even, it's got, I've got Brummy down here as one accent, but I bet you any money there'll be people who say they're from the black country who speak differently from people who say come from Leicester, you know. Yeah. And, the, and there's a very different sort of swathe of words that they use for certain things as well. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, dialects vary in lots of different ways. So it's it's the words that you use, but it's also the sounds that you make. So mm. the sounds that I'm making are quite different from the sounds that you're making, Mike. Yeah. And depending on which region you come from, those sounds will differ. Um, and you also get, you know, even the grammar that you use changes. The mm. way that you structure your sentences and your utterances can change. Now, I'm going to take a wild guess here, and you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that's a Glasgow accent you've got, is it? No, it's not. No, I think I'm thinking it's more a kind of a north, north further north is what I'm thinking, like northeastish. Is that right? Not so much further north, but definitely east. Okay. Um, so in England, you you guys have got more of a sort of north-south divide. You yeah. kind of split dialects up into northern and southern. In Scotland, there's much more of a sort of east-west divide, I would mm. say. So. Um, of course, you do get sort of northern dialects like Aberdeen and Inverness and those sorts of things. But Edinburgh and Glasgow are sort of the typical distinctions. Yeah. And I'm more more like an Edinburgh More like an Edinburgh accent. Okay, yeah. Because I remember... And also, there's different kinds of Edinburgh accents. Because I've worked in, in... I used to live in Lithgow and I worked in Edinburgh. And, you know, the Ken thing that people would say and the way mm -hmm. that people speak. So where does it all come from? Is it is it based on on kind of social history or, or what it was that you that you that you people did there? Definitely. I mean, I think language and dialect is much like other things. So the way that people dress across the country varies, the way that the food that people eat varies, the types of music are associated with different locations. And um, we have to remember that the way we speak is very much to do with kind of how we've learned to speak within our communities. Mm. And as you say, they, they all have their own social histories. Um, but it's also to do with kind of larger histories as well I think and the different influences that we have right. so for me for example having a Scottish dialect that's heavily influenced by the Scots language and it's heavily influenced by Irish because there's been a lot of Irish migration to Scotland in the past yeah. um, so it's to do with the people basically and how the people differ will also impact um, how the language differs. Yeah. And is it a class thing as well because obviously everything in Britain is somehow class related um, does it alter because I mean you'll sometimes I mean I'm, I'm always slightly um, interested in people who try to sort of disguise their accent and try to sort of and you see a lot of it on the BBC where somebody and then suddenly they'll they'll say bath and they'll they'll suddenly forget that they're supposed to be saying bath um, and they'll kind of betray their roots as it were but for some reason they've they've tried to change the way they sound yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the time when we talk about dialects, we focus a bit too much on regional differences. Um, and we kind of forget that actually dialects vary quite a lot socially as well. Mm. So, yeah, it's to do with class and you certainly can kind of perform a certain class status through the way you speak. Yeah. And also things like your age, people, different age groups speak differently, different right. genders speak differently, right. different ethnicities speak differently. So there are lots of other social factors that have an influence on the way we speak. How would you describe my dialect, if I have one? Definitely Southern. Yeah. 
Uh, probably London-based, yep. and I assume that because you're a broadcaster, you're probably sticking toward to more sort of standard forms of speech. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure, really. I've always had this accent. I lived in the West Country. I went to university down in Bath, and when I was living down there, I used to come back to London, and people would say, oh, you've really picked up the accent, because it was a lot of it was just intonation. <laughs> you'd kind of... And, and you'd sound more West Country. And I, and then I went to live in America for a while and I had this kind of very clipped way of speaking when I came back. People thought I was really rude because I was still, I still had more or less the same accent, but I, my style of speech was different. Mm-hmm. You know. I think that's the thing. Um, we're actually running a big project at, I'm based in Manchester, even though I'm from Scotland. And we're running a big project at Manchester Metropolitan University called Manchester Voices. Uh-huh. And one of our participants described their accent and dialect as a tapestry. Yeah. And I thought that was a really nice way to put it because it's it kind of is this collective thing that's been made up of lots of little different threads right. and things that you've picked up along the way. And I, I just thought that was a really nice metaphor. You can have sort of Liam Gallagher as your poster boy for the Manchester accent, can you? Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing, because I don't think you don't really hear that type of Manchester accent very much uh, or anymore Mm. in Manchester. It's a very sort of it's associated very much with a a sort of mank identity. Yes. Um, And especially in the sort of 90s when Oasis were at their peak, I would say that was kind of the the popular way of speaking around uh, Manchester. I mean, one um, one of the really interesting dialects for me at the moment is the one that you hear kids speaking in South London an awful lot, maybe East London mm. as well. It's almost like it's got a kind of touch of the of sort of Jamaican patois about it. And, and it's a kind of um, one size fits all. You know, it's not about what ethnicity you are. They're all speaking the same language. You get on a bus with a bunch of kids. It doesn't matter what colour they are. They're all talking this kind of, you know, exactly, South London yeah. kind of thing like, and it's all like that, you know, in it. Like that. Yeah, I think that's it's really interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of um, linguistics researchers are looking at that emerging dialect, mm. uh, which has definitely kind of come from London and spread across the UK. Um, but it is really interesting because it is a multicultural variety, as you say. Mm. It's a variety that is spoken by particularly teenagers, I would say, but it does seem to be spreading into the older age groups as well. Yes. Um, and it is, regardless of your background, of your ethnicity, mm. it's, it's the popular way to speak. And is it, moment. in the end, something that people like to sound like each other, if you like? It's a kind of a familiarity. So if you do live in a particular place, you find yourself talking like the people that live there. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a sociolinguist, so I'm looking very much at the relationship between language and society. And I would argue that the way we speak is part of our identity and we actually kind of perform our identities through the way we speak. And Mm. I think it is really important to us to sound like other people and to sound the way that we want people to perceive us, if you see what I mean. So if it's important for us to have a particular class status or whatever that that's what we're going to try to actually perform in our right. speech because famously there used to be something called bbc english didn't there which isn't really there anymore because the bbc now has lots of different people particularly since they moved a chunk of their operation up to manchester funnily enough or to salford mm. you know they don't any longer have that thing as as called bbc english yeah i mean we, we still do talk about received pronunciation or bbc english mm. uh, or the queen's english it can be called as yeah. well um, and it definitely still exists, but it's interesting to note that it has changed over the last 50, 60 years. Mm. And it's even been observed that it's changed in the way that the Queen actually speaks. Mm. Um, so it is a changing way of speaking. And yeah, I think it's it's nice in a sense that the BBC has kind of 
it's now representing so many different dialects from across the UK because I think it, it appeals to their viewers and it's important that people hear voices on air that sound like them yeah. because as you said they want to identify with them they want to, to have that sense of belonging. Well, that's indeed what we do here at Talk Radio. Dr. Erin Carey, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Lecturer at Manchester Metropolitan University. They're doing a big study into dialects. Um, dialects are really interesting, I think. And what we do here at Talk Radio, of course, is we ask you to call us and talk to us and give us your stories in your own particular words, because that's what we like to hear. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday. It's 12.47 and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Happy to tell you that there is full compliance uh, for the first Perrier Awards of 2021. Uh, I've missed it, I have to say. Marta wasn't able to deliver the last one of the year. Um, after I think uh, the week before Christmas, because mm-hmm. um, we had to uh, we had to all pack up and close up for the year, basically here at the Independent Republic. But I'm delighted to say that she's back, uh, refreshed from Catalonia. Good afternoon. Well done, Very and uh, thank you for coming back in. And what a week to be back! I mean, goodness gracious. I don't Who know what knew? you're talking about. I've I had mean, a very chilled week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel as if I'm saying this to somebody. I feel as if I've been dragged through a wind tunnel at about 100 miles an hour backwards by my ears. I don't know about you, know? you but I feel I need another break. Yes. I think we may need another week off. Another week of sleep, please. So um, we had the last one of the year, which was Mm -hmm. uh, very amusing. And you did a kind of a roundup of of last year altogether. Um, But now we start anew. We We start start anew and we start fresh. Mm. And I'm afraid to say it's only uh, for the first week of the year. There's no roundup from anything before because we were not here. So that would be awkward. So you're not making fun of the people that filled in for me then? Absolutely not. I would never dare to do such a thing. Uh, I, I like to believe that I'm on very good terms with Mr. O'Sullivan. Yes, indeed. So, and I want to keep it that way. Yes. He's a very scary man. He is a man. Uh, anyway, good afternoon and welcome Thank to you. the Perry Awards, uh, the first one of 2021. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called, so-called. Independent Republic of Mike Graham until radio and choose our favourite moments. Mm. Tradition says, Mike, uh, the first Perry goes to you. Thank you. And it's the joke of the week. Things that I've been painting. I did a... Uh... I've, all, I've done my third painting in about 30 years. Was it matte or gloss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, B&Q, orange, silver. Very nice. Gloss 5. It's always good to make a comedian laugh, yes. I think. It's like a compliment for yourself, isn't it? I think it? so, yeah. Because if you make a comedian laugh, does it make that you're as funny as them at least? I think least? so. It was a bit of a, 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 an open door, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Painting. so, yeah. I think I would have gone that way as well. Um, meteorologist and broadcaster Claire Nazir mm. from Channel 5 joined us earlier in the week to explain uh, why it is so cold at the moment. And I can certify it is really it cold. Is. Zero degrees this morning. I couldn't believe it. I know. Um, she also won a peria for the surprise dog of the week. But what we are going to see is a band of cloud, rain, sleet and snow moving in from the northwest. I'm sorry, that's my dog. Can Your you dog, my dog is a very badly behaved dog. What sort of dog is he? He's a he's a little white dog. <laughs> why like, is he? Bar- why have you, have you locked him out of the room? Is that why he's barking? He's he's actually in another part of the house. Not that my house is very big. Right. It's in the west wing. But well, I've since seen a picture of the little dog, and he is a very little white dog. Yes, and who knew she lived in the White House, eh? Well, I didn't know that. Well done. Yeah, thank, thank you very you. much. That's another boom, joke boom. for me. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of dogs, Mike, you win a perrier for your Scooby Doo impression of the week. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nothing like Scooby Doo, is it really? I know. It's, Never mind. I think we should hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about it's that. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. But uh, worry not, dear listener, if you think this is not enough, because Mike also gave us the crazy frog impression of the week. <laughs> don't know which one is better. I think the crazy frog's better, definitely. Yeah, yeah. slightly longer in time. Yes. It's like two seconds mm. or so instead and of like one. And probably closer to the original as well than the yes. Scooby one. Probably. Yeah. If I had had the time, I would have tried to remix it with the original. But yes, but listen, you're busy. That would mean work. And, you know, it's the also, first week you know, back. Yes. Stay it easy. I've exactly. had a lot of siestas over the uh, festive period. Yes. We don't want to stress out too No, definitely. Too quickly. Definitely. <laughs> slowly, slowly. Very slowly. Mm. Uh, off to Julia Hartley breakfast now. Yes. Um, earlier in the week, she spoke to uh, Conservative MP Tom Tugendhat, and his daughter interrupted the interview, as, he, as she's done many times before, I think, this time to win a parry for the mistake identity of the week. Of course you're right, Julia, that it, it's more than just one man. And, and we've got to understand that this isn't just about one man. This is about a perception amongst... Sorry. Ah, um, it's yeah, a perception. Junior Tugendhat, Tugendhat makes another you, appearance. <laughs> you, are, you are not our nanny, Julia. We have a nanny called Julia. And so she was worried that it was, it was our nanny, Julia. So not quite, not quite. I'm not sure I see Julia as a nanny, really. No. Doesn't, doesn't quite compute that, does it? No. No. Well, she did great work this morning of the office. Have you seen it? I know. She was. She said she was going to go and clean. Has it's, she done it's it? It's all gone. Really? It's, Scorched it's earth. It's generally all gone. I've had to... There's a few boxes at the end of the corridor right. with uh, all the uh, I hope she hasn't thrown any of my stuff away. Well, I think you should go and have a look because yeah. I've had to go and rescue a couple of items because okay. uh, they've been thrown Luckily, out. Luckily, I don't really keep much no stuff mercy. here. But, no. You know. But, you know, pens, oh, check it papers, out. Yes. So it's all gone. Um, anyway, this isn't the only parry from breakfast this week. Former British ambassador to the US, Sir Christopher Meyer, uh, made an appearance on the show yesterday to talk about what went down at the Capitol on Wednesday. I don't mm. know, you might have seen something on yeah. the news. Something very minor. Yeah. And this is what happened. I would have expected the following. Oh, I think, can we ask you to put your phone on silence? Would that be all right? <laughs> You're, you're a man in demand. Put it on silent. Yeah, come on, Sir Christopher. Get with the programme. Did he listen to Julia? Did he? Absolutely not. Nothing to ensure the safety of the Capitol building. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that, and by American standards, we're the <laughs> Sir Christopher, we're going to persevere. You're clearly a man in demand for many reasons. That's great. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. When you think you've put it on silent. And you haven't. I, I don't think he put it on silent. Yeah. I still think we've got some way to go before anyone catches up with that time. Do you remember that time when uh, all of my <laughs> devices went off at the same time playing my own show? That was really funny. And you had to come running in and take stuff out. Yes, remember? I do remember that. I had to take your iPad yeah. out because it just kept going. Just kept going. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yes. Anyway. Um, yeah, um, that was that was quite funny. Please, let's not make that happen. We'll try and avoid in, that. In 2021. Yes. Because, um, you know, it's all about learning from 2020 and improving. It's true. Yes. And in 2020, one of the things that, uh, one of the very few good things I would say that mm. happened last year, because it was a terrible year, let's not kid ourselves, is uh, your handovers with uh, Mr. Ian Collins, ah, yes. providing answers to the burning questions the British public want to really, really know about. Mm. This week, I'm very proud to present the Garden Centre Chat of the Week. I don't go to garden centres that much, but I was in one just before Christmas buying the more dreaded lights, you know, because you always <laughs> need to buy more lights every year. Um, they seem to specialise in lights at garden centres. Yeah, well, they? they sell lots of different lights. They also sell all kinds of um, food. They have a cafe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the cafe is still open. They've got, they sell boots. They sell clothing. Um, they sell plates. They sell crockery. They sell pots and pans. It's pretty much, yeah. I mean, 
Why, if they can do that... Well, they run out of plants, though. Well, they've got plenty of plants. Plenty <laughs> of planks as well. Well, that's that, very true. Very yeah. good. Very they good. do. I mean, it's true, though. The garden centres sell everything. Yes. You know, and they're open. Yes. How does that count? How can it be? I want to buy a big plant because uh, uh, I need to get rid of my Christmas tree this yes. weekend, which is a fake one, by the way, because, right. uh, you know, I, I can't bother put with it? the needles. Uh, the plant? Yeah, no, the Christmas tree. You put it away. Oh, it's got a box. See, I leave mine out because I feel oh, yeah. there's no reason to put it away. I'd have to make space for it in the cupboard, so I just leave it out. But yours is a small one, isn't it? Very like small, tabletop yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, mine's a big one. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm, I'm going to put that one away, but right. now I've got a spot that I've got nothing to Cheese plant is what you want. Cheese plant? A cheese plant, yeah. Does it, yeah, make it's the sort of Does thing it give that, cheese? No, it's not actually. It's nothing to do with cheese. I don't even know why they call it a cheese plant, but it's one of those. <laughs> um, it's quite big. It's like a. Have you ever had a yucca? Yes. Yes, it's a bit yes, like a yucca, yes. but it's got very shiny green leaves, very big. Oh, very um, good. And it just stands in the corner and it's quite big um, mm. and decorative, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need much watering or anything oh, like that. Oh, that's good. And that's so, good. you know. I'll look into it. Yeah. I'll look into I think it, it might much. be something from the 80s that maybe don't people don't do anymore. I don't remember. But everyone had a cheese plant. Yeah. You probably weren't even alive. But I mean, no, it wasn't. <laughs> everyone had a cheese plant. Okay, I'll look into it. Thank yeah. you very much Thank for that. Thank you not at all. And uh, first week of the year, first incompetence report of the oh year. Dear. Hooray! Well done, Marvin. This one lands of, uh, on the desk, actually, not of uh, uh, James Larvin, our engineer, no. but our esteemed studio manager, Mr. Mark Gale. Oh dear. Michael Gove acknowledged that many children from disadvantaged areas may not have the appropriate access to remote learning. I believe we're waiting for a clip here. That is one of the most heartbreaking uh, things. <laughs> Took a while, but we got yeah. there in the end. I didn't know we were on delay in the clips. Yes, it's a 14-second yeah, delay, yeah, okay. just like everything else. Yep. And uh, final peril of this first week of 2021 yes. is for you, Mr. Mike Graham, Thank for you. your language skills. Uh, it was the old uh, f- uh, Fidelia. How do you say it? F- <laughs> Fidelia? <laughs> Fidua. There you go. <laughs> Fidua. Yeah, you taught me how to say it, and then I forgot because I haven't seen you for such a long time. Fidewa. Fidewa. See, I can say it now. I can yeah, say yeah, it then. Yeah. Fidewa. That's just... the uh, paella made yes. with um, noodles, as yes. they make in Catalonia. Not with rice. Not with rice. Got to say this time, I decided not to get angry about the chorizo stuff. Thank you. That's good. New Year, New Me, all that. Yes. But uh, yeah, Fidewa. Well done. Very nice. Looked amazing. Very good. And uh, that's all for the Federal Awards. Thank you. There'll be more next week. <laughs> The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.